Ohio State plays survive and advance again versus Nebraska. It's on to the spoiler makers, and a couple of Buckeye sporting teams signed pretty solid recruiting classes this week. All that and more in this week's edition of the 11 Dubcast, coming to you live from Buffalo Wild Wings at Easton and continuing our tour of the Central Ohio Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> Thanks to B-Dubs for being the official sports bar of 11 Warriors and for, for sponsoring our fall football live broadcasts of the Dubcast. So, Johnny, the top of the page, of course, has to be Ohio State winning another one in gritty, grinded-out fashion. That's how we would describe this as if it was a Southeastern Conference football team we were talking about. The Nebraska Cornhuskers proved, like Penn State the week before, to be maybe a taller defensive task than Ohio State's vaunted offense might have been expected to pose. What, what were your instant takeaways as you were watching the spectacle from Memorial Stadium in Lincoln last Saturday? I, look, I didn't think Ohio State was ever in danger of losing that game. And in part, not now, not that they didn't have a chance, but in part because I was so incredulous that the offense looked as lethargic as they did. And so, you know, you get down to the end of the game and you really are like a turnover away, right? Because they had the fumble there at the end. Yeah. You're a turnover away from that thing going south. And you're not angry at the defense, right? Because I think they put in a pretty respectable showing. Um, but you want to see more consistency out of the offense. And red zone conversions are going to be a huge, huge issue uh, if they don't get that fixed in the last few games. They have to improve on that. Well, I think you can't rely on Noah Ruggles to, to get four field goals every game. As, as cool as that would be. I think you can absolutely rely on Noah Ruggles well, to get you four field goals every game. I've been stumping for that guy to be the Lou Groza Award winner right. because he's been phenomenal. Now, I think it says something about how good this Ohio State offense has been or, or can be that we look at these games, Penn State and, and Nebraska both, and say, man, the offense just wasn't clicking. It just wasn't clicking. Right. Where, you know, rewind this thing two months, and we were all ready to bury the defense. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> Ohio State's it's defense is, is stunningly right. adequate. Yeah, not more than adequate. I mean, they gave up less than 250 yards against Nebraska. Now, granted, it's Nebraska, right, the, the, the best, worst team in the United States. But, look, they, Adrian Martinez, who I think has been playing a little bit better than maybe his reputation suggests, was held pretty much in check. Um, they, did their, they did their job. I, I think that they did what they needed to do. Nebraska wasn't running the ball. They're not going it. You know what I mean? So yeah. the thing is, is that when you watch an Ohio State team or any college football team, and I always emphasize this on the Dubcast, it's all about evolution and progression. How is the team changing? How are they getting better over the course of the season? You don't want to see regression. Mm -hmm. Defensively, you love what you see, right? Even even with a guy like Steel Chambers out, right? Because serving that half <laughs> suspension. Yeah, still uh, the most aggravating. Yeah, insane. Uh, they did a pretty darn good job at, at, you know, making those types of plays that you're like, okay, this is something where we don't want to see missed tackles. We don't want to see somebody slipping or, or taking a wrong angle on a, a screen pass or something like that. They avoided those mistakes, and, and that alone makes them really good. And then when you see standout players like Denzel Burke shutting guys down, not allowing touchdowns, that's, that's a lot to build on. The problem is, is that that seems to exist in tandem with the offense still putting up pretty gaudy numbers yardage-wise, right? Yeah. Okay, like we're still talking about 500 yards a game, but just seemingly unable to convert in the red zone. And to me, and, and I want to know how you feel about this, I'm a little bit worried about the running game, and that's, that's the biggest thing for me right now. Yeah, this is something I never thought we would be talking about, particularly early in the season when you were watching Travion Henderson burst on the scene like a legitimate Heisman contender. Yeah. And I'm not saying he's not anymore. You were watching Ohio State's, you know, five tackles offensive line out there just, you know, giving the best pass protection <laughs> yeah. we've seen at Ohio State in a while. And yet, <laughs> they've struggled against, you know, granted, decent defenses. I think maybe Nebraska's defense is better than people gave them credit for. Yeah, but you want to see your starting running back getting better than like 4.5 yards per carry against anybody. Well, when you I don't were, care who when it is. When you were used to him turning in seven, eight, nine yards exactly. a carry consistently. So what's the deal? Like, what do you, I mean... Why are they so good at pass pro and not able to just road great guys down 
when it comes down to it. When you need a guy, especially, here's the biggest thing for me, right? It's not like they've completely abandoned the running game. Right. The problem is, is that the running game is not giving them second and medium or third and short. That's not happening. So what's happening is, is that you get a, a first down play where they run the ball for maybe two or three yards, and then their offense becomes predictable. Mm-hmm. So teams start to blitz. They start to key on certain players, especially with a guy like Garrett Wilson out. They know what's coming. Yep. You're not the dynamic Ryan Day offense that you've come to expect. So what is the deal? Why, especially on those first couple downs, are they so ineffective right now at running the ball? I thought Kyle Jones had an exceptional film study this week. His film studies are, are absolutely appointment reading for me as somebody who's always trying to learn a bit, a bit more about how the game's evolving and the X and O's pieces of this. But one of the things that Kyle talked about was the, the, the problem with the rotations they've done on the offensive line, these guys coming in and out or maybe now the Nebraska story was an interesting. We'll get to Dewan Jones maybe a little, yeah, bit, yeah. a little bit later as to why Dewan didn't start this I hope week. So. Uh, but the, those, that cohesion among the line and the miscommunications, like sometimes mm. they were just, hey, a guy needed to be blocking the fellow in this gap and he totally whiffed on it and was going right. after, you know, or, or uh, it was, was not in position to make a block on you know, a linebacker is crashing down yeah. and, and filling up a gap. Those are things that can't, that obviously can't happen. Uh, you know, one of the things, too, that I was really struck with was, yeah, here's a good example. Um, there, was a great, there was a great play where, you know, you saw Paris Johnson was, was too far right to reach block a guy. And, and Luke Whipler, I think, is really interesting as a fill-in center. He was not a right. guy expected to start this year. Simply whiffed on chipping the nose in order for Johnson to be able to pull and make the play. And I think that's one of the also the bigger issues with that, where you have a little bit of inconsistency at the center position, right? Like that's, That does impact the rest of the offensive line yep. in a lot of really tangible ways. So, yeah, I, you know, I think that you look at some of the, like, sack numbers for C.J. Stroud, where he's just he's not, get, he's not going down, which is awesome. A lot of that's due to him. A lot of that's because of the way he approaches the game and how he's playing. Now, we can we can get into that in a second, but my point is is that I, it really is I think a lack of cohesion on the offensive line, and it's not that Trevion Henderson isn't an un, unbelievably talented player because he, he he's is. not the problem. He's not the problem, and I think he's he's doing the best that he can. I also think there's a lack of creativity when it comes to the running game. Um, oh boy, you you can't just run this dude in the middle of the line over and over. He he has the speed to make people pay on the edge. And, and the one time they did it, in the last offensive series, he goes for, what, 22 yards? Well, and that's the thing that was mind-blowing for me. It was like, wait a minute, am I on Groundhog Day all of a sudden? You know, you and I talked about this actually a week ago or two. Yes, When, right. when we said, you know, Urban Meyer had his safety blanket, and we didn't yeah. think Ryan Day had found one yet. Right. And yet I was kind of having a Groundhog Day moment where I was like, wait a minute, why are we running the same ineffective play <laughs> again and again and again and again and again and, and expecting a different result, right. particularly in those goal-to-go type situations or red zone situations? Right. Uh, he can absolutely make a deal. The other thing that was really baffling to me in that same order was we talked at length earlier in the season that Ohio State's the best team in the country at using those short-to-intermediate passes to yeah. the boundary as an extension of the running game. And it felt like they abandoned a lot of that. He catches everything you throw to him. Yeah. Go ahead and throw it to him. <laughs> Go ahead and do it. Uh, yeah, and we didn't see it. You know, first time all season long they've had under 100 yards rushing just 90 it was kind of abysmal and yeah. you you alluded to the quote of the week from QB number 1 CJ Stroud <laughs> talking to press this week uh, was asked about hey why don't you run the ball right like you know ever <laughs> and the thing about it is uh, you know if you go back and look at at film from last season when when he takes it and runs you know he had the ball in limited snaps and garbage time when he takes the ball and runs he can run yeah this is not a guy. This is an athletic like when we, cat. The dude can go. The dude can move. He can not scoot. like watching Dwayne Haskins running like C three PO. You know, not not a thing. But he was asked about this, and Stroud shut it down very quickly. The quote goes like this: "If my job was to run the ball, I'd be a running back or something. <laughs> I throw the ball for a living." Okay, how how do you feel about that quote? I mean, he ain't lying. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Okay, so here's... My- People's heads exploded. I know. But he ain't lying. Right. That's what... I feel the exact same way, man. I looked at that, and some people are like, oh, I can't believe you would say that. Like, are you- he's the quarterback. What are you talking about? His job is to throw... Like, that's what he's doing. Yeah. He's being asked to do that 40, 50 times a game in some instances. Yeah. F- 54 times, I think, in this he- game, right? Yeah. 
he understands his role within the offense. And, and honestly, like, I don't hate that response because there are a lot of talented running backs on that squad who can fulfill that role. There are a lot of, you know, wide receivers who can fill that role when they're doing sweeps and all that kind of stuff. I understand that people look at that and they're frustrated when he doesn't take seven or ten yards or whatever, something like that, when it appears that there's a lot of open ground in front of him. But, like, I understand his frustration where you're like, if you're C.J. Stroud, why isn't the running game better? Is it your fault? No. Like, yes, you would like him to, you would like him to be able to take the easy yards. I'm not saying he shouldn't do that. Yes, absolutely. But if you're trying to blame any kind of offensive running back woes or running game woes on him, that's not where you should be looking. Yeah. So I understand why he might have said something like that in a moment of frustration or just saying, like, look, I'm the quarterback. I throw the ball. We've got running backs. Maybe you should ask them a little bit about why a running game didn't get 100 yards. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing, too, is if you rewind it to after the Penn State game, he was asked a similar question about, and he said, you know, I mean, if it's there, I'm going to run. Yeah. Which he hasn't I, done, and I, that's fair criticism. Yeah, I feel like I do a good job running, he went on to say, but the plays that we call, I'm going to run them to the best ability. And the plays that we call, in this case, yeah. means him throwing the ball. Yes. That's, that's the identity. That's that the, was the other part of Kyle Jones' film study. Ohio State's identity. Right. Right now, at least. What do you think Ryan Day expects him to do? <laughs> He's got a guy who can thread the needle in those short, intermediate yes. passes. If you look at his passing chart, between the hashes, 10 to 20 yards down the field, He's the, maybe the best in the country doing right, it. Right. You know, he's got a couple spots on the pass chart that get a little ugly. Yeah. You know, uh, to the boundary, 30, 40 yards plus. Yeah, some questionable throws there. I mean, that's where those picks come from. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the second pick that he threw, I think, was just out of frustration, honestly. Yeah, I mean, the do? first one was an incredible defensive play and a defensive yep. effort. Second one, I think it was just, you know, I'm mad. I'm going to go, you know, Rex Grossman on this thing, and I'm just going <laughs> to chuck it down. Hero ball. Yeah, he's going to go hero. He's going to do sexy Rexy. But, like. I understand what his point. You know what I mean? Because this is a Ryan Day offense. You're expected to go through your progressions, maybe go through them again if you get a chance, and then possibly think about running. But his role right now, especially as a guy who is really pretty still new to the position, yeah. right, in the collegiate level, your role is to throw the ball. And, and I understand where he's coming from when, it, when, it, you know, when he says that. Now, with that said, again, yes, you do have to take the yards, especially if your running game is not doing well. But I do not blame the dude for saying I'm a pass first guy, and that's what I'm looking for 99% of the time. And and take this a step further. You know, one of the reasons that you're not seeing them necessarily calling a bunch of design runs for Stroud like they would have uh, a Barrett or a Braxton Miller, Terrell Pryor. You think about all those great <laughs> dual threat quarterbacks. Right. This guy separated his AC joint in the season yeah. opener, right? So there's yep. there's also that to think about. We yep. don't we don't want to re-aggravate. Uh, an injury or, or cause a new one when you've got the three best wide receivers in the country on the roster. Yeah. So you keep this guy throwing the ball, and that's where, that's where you make your bread and butter. Well, and the other thing is, is that like, you're right about the wide receiving core. you got a guy who caught 15 passes for 240 yards in the game. Like, if they're capable of doing that, then, yeah, you're going to want to try to throw to guys. And, you know, JSN, I, I really think Jackson Smith and Jigba is, is definitely, like, they are super copacetic yes. right now. You know what I mean? Like, they Absolutely. are locked in. And you had Chris Olave, obviously, and, and Garrett Wilson to that. Garrett Wilson didn't even get to play in the game. Exactly. And, and, you know, Ohio State really didn't miss a step. That's no shade to him. Right. It's how good that wide receiving core is up and down the numbers. Um, and then you had Mitch Rossi did the whole thing. There it's you like, go. You just complete the package. I, mean, I remember when we, were, we saw that play, I'm like, they just why, throw, is it, why is he split out wide? They just throw. Why not? Why not, Andy Bans? Why uh, not? Got to talk about Jackson Smith and Jigba. Man, guy obliterates a 24-year-old school record, passing passing uh, no other than David Boston. Yeah. Uh, one more pass, 15 in a game. That That's a record that you didn't expect to see fall anytime soon. Hadn't 24 years a long time. And, you know, he'd have caught one more ball. One more ball, he probably breaks Boston's single-game yardage record because yeah. I think that record was like 254, 256 yards. Whatever it was, that was JSN's yards, yards per, per catch, catch yeah. average on the game. One more catch, and he's probably broken both right. school records. Well, <laughs> the funny thing is, is that that school record, I think, was done on like nine catches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Boston bonk, was, I mean, just completely bonkers. Yeah, hilarious. Uh, but I, I think the, the fact that even a guy, not just the fact that you get the chance to catch 15 balls in a game, but the fact that you're able to do that, like that's, 
he's legit, man. Like that dude is really, really, really good. And I know there's a lot of press about Lave and, and Wilson, justifiably so. They're Rightfully amazing. So, but yeah, he's right up there with him. And I, and in the modern Big Ten. He didn't even win Big Ten Player of the Week because there were two other wide receivers in the conference who had better days. I know, right? My head exploded. Yeah, it's this is wild. Like, the whole conference. That's that's what I love about college football, right? Like, any given week, you're just going to see some wild stuff. And, uh, you know, again, you want to see Ohio State take Nebraska to the woodshed. I've enjoyed many of those games myself, some in person. You betcha. And uh, they didn't do that. And so I can understand why people are a little, you know, angry about it or, or just frustrated. But the elements are still there. I just I want to see Ohio State really. It's it's just the running game for me. If they get that fixed, I will be a much happier person right now. Now, every week in the debriefing, I write uh, a little segment called Jim Trestle's <laughs> least favorite moment of the game. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. I, I feel like I need to start writing Jim Trestle's favorite moment of the game because Noah, I don't miss Ruggles has, you know, just worked himself into being one of the best kickers in the country yeah, and man. has now two games in a row really put Ohio State offensively on his back. Four for four against both Penn State and Nebraska. Uh, I earned his say into a semifinalist uh, invite for the Lou Groza Award yeah, for the nation. 15 nation's. for 15, man. That's, that, that should get you there, He's, right? he's incredible. Uh, now, the problem with this, as you noted a few moments ago, you don't want to have to rely on your place kicker right. to get you to win games, particularly in the month of November. Well, so here's the thing. Yes, that's true. I, you know, I was called out for this a little bit by saying everything's hilarious, but isn't it at least a little funny <laughs> that, seriously, isn't it at least but a little funny? I just, I just, I just want to check. We are, uh, I'm going to call it 15 and a half minutes into the broadcast. Yeah, well, I would say this is hilarious. <laughs> isn't it at least a little funny that at the end of October, early November, Ohio State needs their uh, kicker to hit on like eight of eight in two, like in two weeks combined. I Number four team in the country. Johnny. Okay, <laughs> so a little flashback. When I was in college in 2000, I started in 2003, 2004. Uh, in 2004, that Ohio <laughs> State year, um, that Ohio State football season, their offense to start off was just completely atrocious. They had Justin Zwick, and their entire offense was Mike Nugent. And I think they, they beat NC State basically on the back of five Nugent field goals. That guy and was a dude. It was And look, I was like, my expectations for that team weren't super high. So I was kind of going, hell, if they can do this every game, I will be laughing to the bank. This is the funniest thing. So, again, I don't, I don't want that to be a precedent, but I'm not exactly – upset about it because yeah. i think it, it just gives me the warm you know the warm fuzzies you know just doing some flashbacks back to my college years that was fun i was uh, i was surprised also by the way real quick no ruggles fantastic interview everybody should look up all his quotes yeah that unbelievable yeah. Dude. he had some he had some zingers the surf ohio baby he's going to lake erie he's going to catch some waves it's gonna be great now the the challenge i think that uh we we've highlighted here is, is that if you're going to win Big Ten football games in November. Sure. You've got to be able to run the ball. Yes. In November, you've got to run the ball. Now, it sounded like this weekend, listening to quotes from the staff and uh, members of the team who met with the press, that that's definitely a focus this week. Offensive coordinator Kevin Wilson, a former head football coach himself, mm -hmm. you know, says when you can't make a shot, you just got to keep fighting through it. So we're going to fight through the run game. It's the time of the year in November. You've got to run the ball. You've got to run the ball in the Big Ten. Yeah. Do you, do you trust Wilson and Coach Studd to turn this thing around? Do you yeah. expect to see against Purdue? Do you expect to see Travion Henderson come out and put up 120 yards? I think they'll be better. I mean, it's obviously going to be a point of emphasis this week in practice. They're going to they're gonna understand that, like, if you're Purdue, what do you got to lose? You, you've beaten two top five teams already. Giant killers. They're going to they're gonna go and just do whatever they can to try to get the win. And, and to them, that's going to be, all right, well, let's see if your running game's fixed. And they're going to try to be the best, you know, defensive uh, passing de defense that they can possibly be. Now, I don't know how effective that'll necessarily be, but that's going to be their approach. I think Ohio State will have a much better time running the ball, um, in part because they'll have an increased emphasis on it and also because I think Purdue's going to basically sell out to stop the pass. So... We'll see how it goes. But I, I'm, I'm more confident this week than I was last week. Now, the, the next question is, as I think about, you know, back to our discussion of the, run, you know, the uh, offensive line as it relates to run blocking, you know, the, the, and I made mention to the everybody's a tackle philosophy here mm -hmm. of offensive line. Right. We've, 
move Thayer Munford and Terrace Johnson, who are both tackles, into the interior to play guard. I, good move. Not good move. Yeah. It, good move if it works, but since it's not, yeah, we're going to gripe about exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> no, but that's exactly right. That, that I think, is it's one of those things where if it pays off, great. If it doesn't, then you made a boo-boo. You shouldn't have done that. Because especially at this point in the season, you're really hoping for a consistency, right? And, and you don't want to screw with any kind of, like, basically the offensive line being able to play off each other. If they understand where they're supposed to be and they know where the guy next to them is going to be, yep. it makes things a little bit better. If you do something to mess with that chemistry, then that may not be such a good thing. So we'll see if it works. If it works out, it works out. Well, and Wilson said this, you know, in his, in his meeting with the press. He said, you know, we've just got to do a better job of getting more vertical push. Mm-hmm. Now, he did mention, he said that may be schemes. Could be plays, could be the running back trusting the scheme. Again, I don't think that's it. No, but Henderson's a really patient running back. He, that, he is. I, and I actually kind of wish you wouldn't have said that because, frankly, I think Henderson does an incredible job yeah. at waiting for things to develop in front of him, understanding and trusting his offensive line. Yeah, I'm, I'm with that. And then the thing he said that I think really hit it on the head, we've got to come off the ball better. And he emphasized that. He said, tight ends, everybody, we've got to come off the ball better. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, to me, that that's the thing. Pass pro, you know, that's... That's that's fine. Technique-wise, they're great. The form a wall and yeah, <laughs> don't, don't give an inch. Yeah, but you got to get off the ball faster. Yes. And you know, you're not exactly playing against the 85 Bears and some of these teams. Granted, Penn State and Nebraska, I think both two of the better defenses. They're going to see uh, certainly better, I think, than the Purdue defense they're going to see this week. Well. We'll see. <laughs> well, Johnny. <laughs> Who knows what you, we're going to see? You, you poly sunshine. You. <laughs> now, well, one more thing on Nebraska before we move on to the spoiler makers. Yeah. So Ohio State beats Nebraska, and the powers that be, A.D. Trev Alberts, restructure. That's still insane to me. I, yeah. I keep forgetting that he's their, you know, their A.D., and it's just. They go, they go the Harbaugh route at Michigan, restructure the man's deal. He basically takes yep. a pay cut, and then they take the step of basically firing the entire offensive staff. Yeah. I, we did it. We fixed it, guys. It's over. We're good. I mean, the restructuring thing is fine. Why do you do that with, you know, three, four games left in your schedule? <clears throat> well, it's like you said. They did it. I mean, obviously, they did it in the offseason, but it, it's to show that you're doing something, right? It's but, the, did, but did you need to do it right now? Like, you lost pr- to Ohio State. It wasn't like they lost to... Illinois in nine overtime. I don't know what their boosters are saying to them. Yeah. No, honest to God, though, like I think that's what it is. I think a lot of people, and, and I think in a, a place like Nebraska, that probably carries a little more weight too. Where a lot of these people are behind the scenes saying, "You got to change something. You got to do something." And I think they like Scott Frost, and I, 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 they like what he's trying to build and, and whatnot because he is a personable guy, and, and I don't think he's an insanely terrible coach. You know, he's, he's not going out there and just like completely screwing everything up. But um, I think they just had to prove that they were changing something. And, and as a result, they just they cleaned house. The thing that blows my mind, I mean, we talked about this as being the best awful team in America. Yeah. They, they've lost seven games. That's a lot. That's a lot. You're not getting back to 500. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> but Ohio State handed them their biggest loss of the season. It was nine points. Yeah. Every other game Which they've is lost brutal. was eight oh or under. God. I mean, how are you within a score, in essence, of – Six losses, because that's what it was prior to the Ohio State game, is that yeah. they were in, you know, because even at eight points, that's a one-score ball game. Yep. And I, how do you get that close to that many and, and not win? Part of it's talent, honestly, like in depth. And, and by the way, talent may be shorthand for depth, because really that's yep. what it is. At the end of the game where you can rotate guys and the other, the other team can't, and they're exhausted, and you can run, and you can get first downs, and they can't get you off the field, and you kind of saw a little bit of that, right, at the end of the game. Yeah. Um, then, yeah, that's going to cause you to lose close games because you, 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 don't, you just don't have the legs. Your team does not have the legs to complete the game, and I think that's a big part of it. And Ohio State will have that advantage yeah. in basically every game it plays Absolutely. until the playoff. Mm-hmm. They, they simply have more bodies at the four- and five-star quality than anybody else in the conference does, and right. it's going to continue that way. Uh, it looks like for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Ohio State finds itself at number four in the latest college football rankings after their opponent this weekend upset, if you will. <laughs> they destroyed Sparty. Man. They, yeah, Sparty, no, 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 because, yeah, yeah Purdue. Uh, they almost put up 600 yards. Whew, saddled up the Boilermaker special and just run right, put Sparty on the tracks. Aiden O'Connell. So here's the thing. So quarterback Aiden O'Connell for Purdue, 
pretty accurate. It's really weird. It's actually fantastically weird uh, how his season has gone because this dude has come out. He throws really accurately. Like, if you look at his completion percentage, the guy really does a great job at, um, you know, making sure that, like, his, his intermediate short passes are done really well. He's, he's throwing over, over 71% completion rate. But, but he also throws a crap ton of interceptions except for the past two weeks. And against Michigan State, it seemed like every single little thing came together for that dude. Um, he was just on top of everything, and uh, he threw for, what, I think like over 400-some yards, maybe close to, let me check this out. Let me make sure I get this correct. He threw for 536 yards, Sandy. <laughs> Three touchdowns, uh, no interceptions. That is a quarterback rating of over 175. So you're, you're starting to make me sweat here a little bit thinking yeah, right? about this because you have now Purdue has upset <laughs> Numerous. Yeah, you got Iowa. Iowa's in the teams, bag. You know, numerous ranked teams. And basically, you know, they, they've still got a shot here at winning the Big Ten West. Yes. Which is, you know, wild to me. If you had Purdue winning the Big Ten West on your dance card ahead of the season, you know, uh, good for you. Go play the lottery. The, the win over <laughs> Iowa, huge. Uh, certainly the win over Michigan State is the big one. But then you have the history of Purdue <laughs> You know, taking a sledgehammer and Does hammering down you? all Are over you? Ohio State's playoff hopes. Do you have do you have the the and you know the in, the uh, internal heebie-jeebies when it comes to that? Well, I have Is to that? tell you this story. So you know, I, I did my undergraduate studies at Ohio State. I did my graduate studies at Purdue. So I have yep. sheepskin on the wall from from both schools. Right. Um, and so the year that Purdue beat Ohio State was at nineteen uh, in West Lafayette. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got a few Boilermaker things in my office. I've got sure. one of the che what I call the Cheesehead-style Boilermaker special. So, you know, like the Cheesehead hats you get in Green Bay. It's like that, only it's a train. Right. And so I brought that back from campus one time. My, my daughter's then, you know, six years old or so, thinks this is hilarious. And so before the game, she said, Daddy, who are we rooting for tonight? And I said, oh, <laughs> Princess, the answer is always Ohio State. Yes, of like, course. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. The answer is always right. Ohio State. And, of course, that was the Tyler Trent game, which so, you know, made – made that what I'll call an acceptable loss for Ohio State sure. because it was, a, it was a great story mm -hmm. for, for Purdue. Uh, but because of that, I was texting some of my graduate school classmates, and I was like, all right, you know, how, how nervous should I be that, uh, that, that Purdue's going to come in here and whoop up on my Buckeyes? Now, the odds makers don't think I should be nervous at all. Ohio State's a 19-point favorite. I think that's big. Don't you think that's too big? I mean, I went and checked. As you know, I'm... By the a, way, my uh, prediction is actually bigger than that, so I don't even know why I'm saying this. But that seems... It still seems big. Almost uh, that, three touchdowns. That line... Blew, I mean, given a 40-29 to 29 victory over then number three Michigan State... Right. ...was the last thing that happened, I was, I was a bit taken aback. Here's, here's what I think. Here's why I think that's the case. I, I think what's happening is that Vegas is looking at Purdue and going, this is a two-player team. you got David Bell, who can catch everything, and then you've got Aiden O'Connell, who might be great. He might, he, might, he might not throw an interception. He might throw three interceptions a game. We don't know. So I think what they're looking at with Ohio State is, okay, they've got a great lockdown corner in Burke, right? They've got a defensive line that's getting after it in terms of sacking the quarterback. And by committee, by the way, which is really great to see. Maybe that's not something that Ohio State has to worry too much about because the running game for Purdue can be, you know, Ohio State's got a great rushing defense. Running, day, running game for Purdue can be stymied. Maybe Ohio State focuses on those two guys, shuts them down, everything's good. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's where they're coming from that. Or maybe they're just saying Ohio State's super PO'd and they want to score 500 points. Well, the thing know. that, you know, kind of threw me for a loop is, you know, I'm an acolyte of, of Bill Connolly's SB Plus mm -hmm. uh, ratings. And Connolly calls this a 24-point win for Ohio State. I mean, projected <laughs> wow. margin, 24, almost 24 and a half points. Uh, and, and, and to make this an even bigger, like, wow, are you kidding me, says you should take the under if you're going to bet this thing. That's so weird. got the over-under set at 62, and he says take the under. And you just told me, <laughs> old boy in the black and gold, is throwing for 600 yards a game. No, but, yeah, honest to God, like you, come, you see a guy coming off a 500-plus yard passing performance. Usually you have a little bit more faith in the dude. Right. If you're, yeah, so I, it's, it's odd to me. I, I think that really is maybe where they're approaching it, that it's a two-player team. Ohio State can shut down two guys. Um, but maybe not, man, because that was one of the assumptions that they made <laughs> against Purdue last time, 
and it didn't turn out the way they wanted. So, well, and the thing that and the thing that maybe should give you pause, right? As you think about now, these are two totally different teams. Of course, mm-hmm. I was wrong. It was 2018, not 2019. But sure. Haskins threw it 73 times. Yes, he did. In that game, you know that, you know, I geez, I don't want to say that there's any. I don't want to say there's any parallels because I think they're two very different teams. If Ohio State throws the ball 73 times against Purdue, <laughs> then, then yes, you should worry. Yes, that would be fair. Purdue's passing attack is very good. Now, the other thing I was reading, I thought this was a really good uh, piece. This was not on uh, 11 Warriors, but it was um, one of the – got to find which site this was. It was uh, one of those um, football nerds kind of things. Yeah, college football nerds. And they were talking about the matchup between the two teams, and they made the point, and I thought this was a good one, you look at what what Purdue does well. They're they're holding more or less uh, teams to their average, mm-hmm. and and Ohio State's defense is holding teams to about seventy five percent of their average. Right. So if you take that in mind, maybe a forty five to seventeen game isn't unreasonable <laughs> if Purdue's defense holds I feel Ohio like that State might to be, its average. I feel like that might be Andy Vance's exact prediction. That was exactly. I mean, that was how I justified my <laughs> prediction, right? Right. But that that was my numbers, not theirs. But I, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. I but I but I said forty five seventeen, thinking it's not okay, bad. If if Purdue's defense holds Ohio State to its average, yeah, and Ohio State's defense holds Purdue to three quarters of their average, yeah, that's that a butt, about right. That's a butt whipping. Yeah, and honestly, my prediction is along the same lines. I think I said forty two seventeen. Yeah. So I think we're right of the same mind, and and it really does come down to do you have faith that Ohio State is going to a fix the running game and sustain drives and shut down what Purdue's going to do in the passing game. And I think both of those things are true. And that's why I think it's going to be a pretty easy win for Ohio State. That could be really stupid of me to say. And I'm tempting the the gods right now because we've got a Purdue team that's beat two top five teams. But, hey, uh, you know. I, I, got, I got the reason why. It shouldn't why be we, possible to do three. I'm sorry. I, I got the reason that we don't need to be worried about this game at all. Okay. Dewan, Big Thanos, Jones. Hell yeah, man. Said this week. They offered me a walk-on, and I took that personally. <laughs> Roll out the meme, my friends. The big man took it personally. Best, best offensive lineman, by the way, on the team. Like the guy really is just a, done some fantastic things this year. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, if you're Purdue, you got to be kicking yourself on that one, man, because that's, that's wild. You know, I, that, to me, is up there with, like, you know, Mike Bennett was a really good player for Ohio State, and most player, most teams only offered him as an offensive lineman. Yeah. And he wanted to be a defensive lineman. Yep. They're like, well, we don't have the film on you, and we don't believe that you're going to be a defensive lineman. He's like, all right, well, Ohio State says we, they'll let me play defense. So, Peace deuces, out, homie. Deuces. And, and look, it paid off, and it paid off for, for uh, Dewan as well because yeah. that guy's just kicking butt. He's awesome. Now, Ohio State uh, had a, a move, as I alluded to earlier, because Michigan State fell to number eight in the college football playoff rankings. Let's talk about the playoff rankings. I'm so excited. Let's do it. Now, I, I, got, some, I got some flack you know, on the last episode because I went on an extended rant yeah. uh, about Bama being ranked number two, and one of our astute readers said, come on, isn't everybody tired about hearing about Alabama at number yeah. two? And I say no, no, I'm not tired of hearing about that because it's a travesty. Uh, the ratings, rankings came out from the committee. Remember the AP poll and the coaches poll no longer matter. Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State. And I think you and I, when we talked about the playoff last and we were asked to predict how we would or asked how we would rank it, mm-hmm. you know, I said I thought that was the four most likely yeah. entrance into the field. Cincinnati up to number five. Good for them. Michigan, followed by, I said number eight, Michigan State at number seven. And then... Poor Oklahoma, nine and zero. No faith. All which, the way down to number eight. Okay, so my favorite part about this actually isn't. You know, I talked about Cincinnati a lot last couple times. Uh, my favorite part about this week is definitely Michigan being ranked over Michigan State, like one hundred percent. Because, <laughs> wow, <laughs> yeah. Because look, to a certain extent, if if a team plays another team and it's really early in the season, like if at some point Ohio State's ranked over Oregon, right? Am I going to be super like, oh, that's really shady or something? No, because it was, you know, a hundred years ago. Right, hundred years ago. Who cares at that point? Different teams. That Michigan got beat by Michigan State like, like two weeks ago. Right, like the other day. The other day. <laughs> this just this isn't. This isn't. This isn't old news. This is just happened. These are basically the same two teams, and the committee was like, nah. 
Michigan's and, better. And the thing that makes it even more glaring is that you have Ohio State behind Oregon. Yeah. Then Cincinnati, right. then Michigan over Michigan State. I mean, right. it's not like, oh, we've got this pair up here in the top four yeah, and this yeah. pair in the bottom 20. No, no, no. They're separated by Cincinnati. And and what's your criteria for, because well, you, know, you look at Oregon over Ohio State, and you say, and, and I as an Ohio State uh, coverer says, hey, that's logical. Oregon beat yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. this, th- sure. this is logical. I have sure. no problem with this ranking. Right. Ohio State should not be ranked ahead of Oregon. They have similar resumes at this point. The head-to-head has to matter. Yeah. So then when I look at Michigan over Michigan State, there, there's no justification for that. Yeah, and it doesn't Gary, make any sense. And Gary sense. Barta, who is chairman of the committee, threw out a word salad of things they, to try look, to justify it. Yeah, and I get that stupid transcript every week. They send it to my email, and they're like, oh, here, check it out, media guy. You get to see what everything was said. I'm like, I don't need to read this word salad because I already listened to it, and it makes no sense. And they trot somebody out every week to try to explain these rankings. And it re- what it really comes down to is, A, it's arbitrary until the very last one. Yep. B, well, that, that too has, you know, <laughs> maybe it's a little arbitrary. But yeah, <laughs> right. Yes. Well, that that's only not arbitrary because it actually means it matters. Something. Yeah, exactly. But it's still arbitrary. B... We're clearly not really paying that close attention. And C, there are certain teams that we just don't like. And yeah. so, like, my favorite, I mean, Cincinnati again, you know, okay, well, we're ranked fifth. They're undefeated. Yeah, but who's Cincinnati beaten? Oh, the ninth-ranked team. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you look at some of these other teams, you know, even Alabama, Oregon, Georgia, Ohio State, I mean, the, the wins that these teams have just don't compare. And it's, it's funny to me that – one of the teams behind Cincinnati has ostensibly a better win than they do. Yeah. So even within that three ranking period where you got Cincinnati, Michigan, Michigan State, that's still screwed up, right? Even if you're going by the logic that they're using. So the whole thing to me is just utterly bonkers. Um, Oklahoma being eight is like an ongoing slap in the face to the entire Sooners team. Well, to um, the entire Big 12 conference. I mean, yeah, frankly, really. Because, because you're looking and saying, hey, you're standard bearer for the next year anyway until they, until they go peace out, homies, and move right. to the SEC. You know, Oklahoma State at 10 as a one-loss team. Uh, Baylor at 13 as a two-loss team. So, they're, you know, those two are probably fine, you know, in terms of the, w- where they fall. But you're taking an undefeated Oklahoma. I think the other piece of this relative to Oklahoma is that they've gotten their <clears> – <throat> hind parts waxed every single time they've been in the playoff sure you know they haven't and that does matter i think they it, actually it, do care it about absolutely that, which is it, stupid but no it absolutely mattered you think about when ohio state you know got thumped versus clemson you know that i i'm convinced influenced the rankings in yeah. in subsequent seasons and, and they've and they did get in in part because as a four seed they won the national championship yes and I think that absolutely doesn't – it makes no sense to me because you can't say that there's that kind of continuity from right. from year to year. But I, I agree with you. I think that's part of it. Yeah, absolutely o- is part of it. Oklahoma will get a chance for redemption when they play Oklahoma State mm-hmm. uh, later on this month. Uh, that will, I think, have huge impacts on this ranking. But, um, I, but I still believe they can't get in on their own. They are definitely no. not in a win in your Oh, God, end. no. Not, they, not at that They're going to end up at, you know, sixth. Same maybe. with Cincinnati. And actually, by the way, I mean, even with – We'll get to this with Ask Us Anything. Ohio State maybe should be a little nervous, too. I'm not in any way, shape, or form nervous about Ohio State. I didn't think so either. But I should look forward to the question. Yes. Uh, And and so to wrap this up, uh, Ohio State would be an early favorite over Cincinnati and Oklahoma, as you might expect, in the college football playoff. But it would be dogs against Alabama and the dogs of Georgia in the college football playoffs. Bet online rolled out some early lines this week. They would call Ohio State a six-point dog versus Georgia, four-point underdog versus Alabama, six-point favorite versus Oklahoma, and a nine-point favorite versus Cincinnati. Uh, that come out about what you what, yeah. what you think? That's about right. I, I think maybe they would probably do a little bit better against Cincinnati than that. But, yeah, I, for betting purposes, I can understand why they would set a line like that. I did think this was interesting. They did not put any line on Ohio State versus Oregon, but Oregon was listed as a two-point underdog to Cincinnati. That right. That... That made me scratch my head a little bit. I don't know about that. I don't. I don't. I think I would absolutely go with the Ducks. Yeah. Over Cincinnati in a hypothetical match there. Oregon would be a 17-point dog against Georgia and a 15-point underdog against Alabama. Yeah. 
I still feel like, well, I'll, I'll, hold, off, I'll hold off my comment uh, until the questions that okay. you've, you've alluded to ask us anything. So with that, well, why don't we just do... So real quick, okay. I want to mention All right, one thing down. before we do. Sorry, sorry about that. Just real quick, I do want to mention one thing about this college football playoff thing, okay? Um, last thing I want to say about it is Ohio State, if you're an Ohio State fan, pay really, really close attention to, uh, I, again, I'm going to bring it up, the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State game because where they're ranked after that, depending on the outcome of that game, I think is going to go a long way towards determining what they do about all these other rivalry games. If they reward Oklahoma, then Ohio State, I think, will get rewarded for a lot of this other stuff. But we'll get to that in a second. All right. That means it is time for Ask Us Anything, our favorite segment of the show each week. This is where you, the listener, get to ask us, well, anything. Ask Us Anything, uh, like the Dubcast at Large, is brought to you by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Hats, T-shirts, stickers. Uh, I think we have some handy koozies and tumblers and other yeah, merch, 11 Warriors merch and uh, things. New raft of T-shirts on the Dry Goods Store. Some very swaggy swag. Yeah, Go drygoods.11warriors.com. Yeah, there's some excellent stuff in there. Um, I'm a big fan of the uh, the new OH shirt that's up there. That's pretty cool. We're rolling out some new stuff. And I also want to say thanks again to Buffalo Wild Wings, the official sports bar of 11 Warriors, for hosting us for this live taping uh, and live Ask Us Anything. Friends here in the audience, if you do want to submit a question to Ask Us Anything, you know, maybe hit us up on the Dubcast Twitter or come up here and slide uh, slide a question on a napkin to Johnny here while we uh, while we do. We're glad to take your questions and get some 11 Warriors merch here on the table as well. Don't you go home empty-handed. All right, Johnny, what do you have in the mailbag this week? So, first of all, you can send us questions again by sending us uh, to Ask Us Anything, dubcast at 11warriors.com. Uh, this first one here is just a very simple question from Nelson, who wants to know, does Jeff Brom have more top 10 wins than Harbaugh? Uh, guess what? <laughs> he, has, he has an equal amount of top 10 wins as Jim Harbaugh uh, this year. <laughs> this year? <laughs> yeah. So he has two, right, he has two top 10 wins right this year. Jim Harbaugh's record against top 10 teams in the AP is, uh, I believe, 2-13. and 13. So in roughly half a season, he has accumulated the same amount of wins as Jim Harbaugh has, I think, in the last, what, seven seasons at this point? So the answer, I think, would have to be, of course, yes, because you've got to take in some of the other upsets that they've, they've done. The, the other thing that amazes me is how many about Purdue is how many wins they have as an unranked team against top two opponents. So they, they now have eight wins as an unranked team yeah. versus top two opponents. This is kind of in program history. That's that's twice as many as any other school all time. Purdue has now nine wins versus AP top two teams when unranked, the they're most spooky. by any team in the poll era. That's a spooky it's, it's team. Nuts. And I think they're up to 17, like top five wins, because you get a factor in that Michigan State win. They're up to like 17, the most in NCAA history. That's incredible. As an unranked team. Fantastic. Now, now, here's how you know that their magic has ended. They're ranked 19 in the college football playoff poll this week. So, up. you know, and One too uh, much. yeah, that's that, that, that takes the and it's not being played in Ross Aid Stadium, which I'm, you know, convinced must have been built on hallowed ground or something. And there's <laughs> some some ancient curse uh, that that, you know, dooms the the right. visiting teams there when they're ranked. All right. Good question. Uh, next one here is from our good friend Alvin, who wants to know simply is Ryan Day too pass happy. You know, this is one of those questions where I say um, no if it's working, yeah. <laughs> yes if it's not. I I don't have a problem. I, I want to see the I want to see the run the ball more, particularly in November, particularly late in games. I I don't want to see a team this talented go full on trestle ball. Although I am an avowed disciple of uh, James Patrick Trestle and, and a pledged eternal fealty to the distinguished gentleman from Youngstown. Uh, I just want to see them be able to get it when they need it. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's too pass happy. I, I will admit that when I saw, hey, we threw the ball 50-some times with a Richard freshman quarterback in a, in a game like that where you expected to be grinding it out in the fourth quarter and just controlling the clock, that, you know, I, wow, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of times to swing the bat. Yeah, but... But I kind of I, I'm with your initial assessment on there. If it's working, then I don't care how many times yeah. they're throwing the ball. Right? Honestly, like if you can throw 73 times and win the game, win the game that way. If you can throw the ball one time and win the game, win the game that way. I really don't care. It's it's whatever's working best. And if you can score an average of 50 points, do however you're going to do it. Like I don't I have a problem with that. 
I, um, I had a great comment on on Twitter. Somebody uh, somebody um, during the game, you know, I was probably uh, no, let's just say, you know, tweeting through my emotions <laughs> yeah. about not that anybody's ever done that on football. <laughs> and and his comment was something like, you know, we became Mike Leach's offense so gradually we didn't even notice. Hey, you know what? Some people, some people at the end of the Trestle era were were trying thinking maybe you know. Eh, Maybe we got to do a little reset. I don't know. No, I mean, it's so this is true. One of my best friends in the world, uh, we would go to watch games at, you know, local local pub with her dad. Mm -hmm. And her dad was absolutely just livid every week. We're we're winning all these ball games, but he's just livid. Right. That they need to do something. We need to get rid of Trestle. And I was like, are you nuts? Yeah, what are you talking about? What are, what are we talking You're about You're winning here? the games. That's, oh, what, yeah. that's what matters. He was, he was yeah, he was livid. Yeah, so Evan asked a couple questions here. And uh, so first time asking question, uh, Vancouver Buckeye at 11 Warriors. Uh, first one's kind of along with what we just talked about. Second one is what I want to address at the college football playoff. This I found really interesting. So he says, I keep hearing talk about Alabama's number two ranking, setting them up to get in the playoff, even with a second loss to Georgia in the SEC championship. But I think that's the wrong hypothetical to focus on. My take is that the college football playoff cabal is setting things up for a one-loss Georgia team to make the playoff if their only loss is the number two Alabama rather than, say, a five-ranked Alabama. Yeah. So if Alabama and Georgia both end up with one loss, are we in for a repeat of 2018 in which two SEC teams make the playoff, leaving room for only two teams of out, uh, potentially... One loss, Pac-12 champ, Oregon. One loss, Big Ten champ, S- OSU. Undefeated little 12 champ, OU. And undefeated Cincinnati. And that scenario, what do you th- see Ohio State's chances being? Yeah, I absolutely think the answer is, I mean, I, I agree with that. It, this is absolutely setting up so that Alabama and Georgia both get in the playoff. Right. I, that, to me, is absolutely the end game. Right. I have no qualms about that whatsoever. And that's why I, I really do think the most likely scenario is Georgia, Alabama, regardless of what the seeding is, so to speak, sure. uh, Oregon and Ohio State. Yeah. I, I, so you're I, not concerned about like Cincinnati or OU? I'm, no, no, because and here's why: Cincinnati's schedule can't get any better. Right. They, there is not a good win on their schedule. But OU's does. OU's does, but they're already so far behind everybody. Does now, that matter? Uh, it does. It does, unless there is chaos ahead of them. Right. Now. You know, if if you get to a place where, let's say, Cincinnati falls out, uh, you get to, you know, you're going to have... So Michigan and Michigan State are going to resolve themselves, right? Like, mm-hmm. they're both going to lose to Ohio State in this hypothetical, because yeah. Ohio State's staying in the top three or four. Uh, let, let's pretend Oregon wins out. So then, then you're down to this place where Oklahoma's moved up to, what, in this scenario, six, five, five or six? Yeah, something like that. Somewhere in that ballpark. So... I think you are absolutely in a spot where they're still the last team on the outside looking in. Here's I, I have a hard time seeing the committee taking Ohio State, having having defeated all these ranked teams in a row. Because sure. now you've got Purdue as a ranked team, right? Michigan State is a ranked team, Michigan, Michigan is a ranked team, and then a Big Ten championship, perhaps a rematch against Purdue, <laughs> perhaps a rematch against uh, that would be cursed. That would be. Yeah, utterly th- th- cursed. Th- yeah, especially playing that in in Indianapolis. Oh you know, my God. Like that that'd be a little wonky. I don't want that. Uh, but at any rate, you know, you're you're, you're going to have a let's let's run it back and say, you know, it's another fifty nine to zero Wisconsin. Yeah. Big Ten championship game. I just have a hard time seeing them moving Ohio State down. Now, could Oklahoma get in over Oregon? Oregon? Yeah, a maybe. team that beat Ohio State. Here's yeah, maybe. It, it dep- I mean, if if Oregon wins out, then I still think. I think the committee has signaled we do not respect the Big 12. Right. Here's why I think that is a very interesting question. If that plays out that way, you are putting in four one-loss teams over two undefeated teams, yeah. one of which is in a Power 5 conference yeah. and a Power 5 champion. That would be, I think that would blow some minds. And I, I don't know if they're willing to go that far. So I, 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 do I mean, think- people have been going crazy about Oklahoma at eight as it is. That's true. I mean, every every week when this is when these results are these rankings are rolled out, I mean, I, the Twitter angst is yeah is pretty great. I just think there's a little bit more danger for Ohio State than maybe I had been considering. Yeah, I, I mean, I that a, was a good question. I think it was a really good question. I, I, I it, it is a good question. It's a very good question, and I'm I'm not sweating at all. I, I that's fair. And I that's have fair a hard too, time seeing, because it is Ohio State. When Ohio State winning out, mm. yeah, with an Ohio State winning out, and particularly with this offense, where this really comes back to is. What's the committee's mandate? Is it 
for best, right. for most deserving. And, right. and we have this debate every year because you can make the argument that, hey, undefeated Oklahoma, undefeated Cincinnati are deserving. Yeah. You win your games. Yeah. You can only win the games that are in front of you. You win your games, you go. Right. Uh, Cincinnati has the sort of asterisk of having a crummy conference schedule. They can't do anything about that before right. you know, two or three years, whenever oh, yeah. they join the Big 12. Yeah. Oklahoma, you know, again, their schedule's backloaded. You're fine. But this, this assumes they win those games. I don't have all that much faith over Oklahoma. I wouldn't be surprised to see Oklahoma State solve this problem for us. Well, and that could definitely be the case. That, and, and actually, I would not be surprised by that either. I, I think that's a good point because that's a legit team. They're really good. And Oklahoma, of course, does not look great. Uh, overall, but you know they're trying to right the ship a little bit, making the quarterback change and whatnot. Uh, last question before we get to some basketball stuff. Um, this is from Brian, who was kind enough to to show up and say hi to us uh, last time, which was fantastic. Yeah, I, was fun to I missed him. that. I know he's he's a really good dude. Um, he asks, uh, pretend you'll have enough money to retire someday. You can pick one place in the U.S. to chill out. Where would you want to go? By the way, he said he guessed that you said a cattle ranch and fill in the blank. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I don't even have a place, that, like, it, it doesn't have to be in a specific state. Go, like, big sky country? You want to go to, like, Montana? Uh, I feel like it would be a good, you know. You know, what's Montana really interesting be- is I had some friends who, you know, were cattle, in, in the cattle space here in Ohio. And some years ago, they sold their farm. I think they were down around Lancaster or somewhere mm-hmm. in southwestern Ohio. And sold their place here and went and bought one in Nebraska that was maybe ten times the size. You know, just the arbitrage of being able to sell. Because the development pressure you have... Land prices here are obscene. Oh, sure, and, yeah. And when you get out there into dry, you know, especially in dry land country where uh, you're going to have to irrigate it if you're going to row crop farm it. So, yeah, I mean, I could see that. And I, I, I keep meaning to binge watch Yellowstone because that's mm-hmm. all of my friends. And I the, heard it's really good. So, yeah, my social feed blows up every week. Yeah. How, how, how great uh, people love Yellowstone. Um, so, yeah, that's a, great, that's a great guess, Brian. I could absolutely stretch my legs. Part of the problem I find is now that I live in town, it's been a while since I've been out like, on <laughs> yeah. the farm. I sort of dig the amenities of being in a walkable community. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely need more space, though, because uh, we need more space for dogs. Oh, sure, yeah. And, and the stunning Mrs. Vance says that we show dogs because the city won't let me keep heifers in the backyard. I'd be totally be showing cattle because that's what I grew up with. So, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe some space where I can do both of those things. Yeah. What about you, Johnny? Where's the, <sighs> you where's know, the dream destination? Uh, I Probably Colorado. I mean, I know that's like the super, like... <laughs> How stereotypical! How hipster! I know, right? You're wearing flannel tonight and everything. I know, but it's. I like the cold. I like mountains. I don't like ticks. <laughs> so northeast is generally out. Um, I don't like volcanoes or earthquakes. So the west coast is out, which I, I think would be pretty like Mount Rainier. That'd be pretty sweet yeah. where you live. But like, I just think Colorado would be my vibe. I think that'd be really sweet. I think I'd enjoy that quite a bit. And if I had like total like fu money, I'm like buying a cabin somewhere in Aspen and. I mean, if, I, if I've got drop-dead money, uh, I, I will have to say, so we have uh, a dog breeder that we're very close with that uh, lives in Carmel-by-the-Sea, California. Uh, by the way, Carmel was the city that Clint Eastwood was mayor of for nice. a, a brief period of time, I think in the 80s. And it, it's apparently perfect there, yeah. just pretty much like 11 and a half months out of the year. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I think I would do very well in an environment like that. And I, I used to live in a place with, you know, mountains things like yeah. that and I loved it and I, I missed that quite a bit I keep I keep telling the stunning Mrs. Vance every winter usually when that first snow flies you know we choose to live here mm-hmm. we could we could easily pick a state like Florida or Texas that yeah. have you know no winters and uh, and no state income tax and she always points right. out to me that I go to those states you know in convention season so like yeah, December exactly. to February right. not August when it's 100 degrees yeah. and 100% Hell humidity no. and miss me with that there's no way I would not want to live in that yeah. place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, that's Ask Us Anything. Thank you for sending those in. And just towards the end here, let's, let's, let's wrap up some b-ball. I let's had a really fun time. Hoops. I had a really fun time watching the basketball game. Ohio State opens with a buzzer beater. <laughs> Game-winning layup from Zed Key. To yeah, let's go. The win against the Akron Zips. God, I love Zed Key so much. Is, is there a, a, a guy you want to root for more than, you know, double guns, Zed no, Key. man. I, I love Zed that Key, guy. Zed Key can do auto detailing. I don't know if anybody saw that like on his Instagram, but the dude can do auto detailing. He is a man of many talents. Um, he's fun as hell to watch. Obviously, he had the game-winning bucket, which is great. Um, I just I love Zed Key. And here's the other thing. So, look, people are looking at it, and they're going, okay, Akron, we should have beat Akron by 500 points. And, yes, they did blow a giant lead towards the end of the 
of the first half, right? I think yeah. it was a 14-point lead that just evaporated. But Akron's pretty good. And I saw some pretty good things from guys like Malachi Branham, who I thought gave some really quality minutes. Um, EJ Liddell cannot be asked to score 25 points and I think like 11 boards a night. That, that's not ideal. You need to do better than that. But <laughs> there's a lot to build on, and I had a lot of fun watching the game, in part because it was such a you know, great outcome, but I'm not sweating it. I, I think that was, that was a fun game, and you know, I was entertained. It was yeah, and just assuming he's not up to 100%, you no. know, and, and he's expected to <coughs> play a pretty significant role for the team as well. Right. So, you know, that's, there, there's some, some caveats, if you will. Branham, I think, yeah, he's going to be a star. No, he is. no question. The more minutes he gets, the more integrated in the offense he'll be. Um, he can be a distributor. I, I think he'll be really good. One of the things you and I were talking about before the, the show, um, Aaron's got to take more shots. He's got to take more shots. And, and the thing is, is that if you look at the roster up and down, I mean, the guys who can create their own shots, there's a pretty limited list, right? Yeah. EJ can do it. Uh, Justin Arns has got to be able to figure that out because if you're going to be the three-point bomber guy on the team, you got to take more than three of those a game, right? And he's, he's, he's accurate. The guy can hit him, but you got to find your own shot, and he, he just can't. And, and right now, he gets so lost in the wash. A guy has 34 minutes on the court, yeah. and you take three threes? Come and, on, man. And that's your thing. That's your thing. That's your job. You've got it. you got to do better than that. So they've got to find a number two scorer who's consistent. Zed's going to get you, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14, whatever a night, and that's great. But if, if teams can just look at EJ and just send five dudes at him every time, then that, that's not a recipe for success. guy who surprised me, I think, with the quality minutes he turned in after having not a great set of quality minutes at uh, the exhibition game they played mm. prior was uh, Joey Brunk. Yeah. Guy turned in some really useful minutes, had a couple of timely uh, buckets. Is he going to be a guy that is an important piece of the puzzle for Ohio State? I think he'll be a guy that can get you some minutes on the bench. I, I, I don't think this is a team. This is like one of those um, MATA teams where you're like, who are the five, right? Yeah, right. Who are the guys? Yeah, they're going to get some dudes off the bench and give you some general consistency, and you're not going to like score zero points over 10 minutes while EJ's sitting or something like that. But like, the biggest thing are finding that core five guys who are going to get you minutes and points and then also making sure that EJ stays out of foul trouble. Yeah. Because if he can't do that, then you're really screwed. And uh, you saw a little bit of that against Akron as well. Um, so definitely some things to fix, but uh, there's some optimism too. And, and look, Holtman said this as much as well. Look, this is a team that's going to be on the struggle bus a little bit. Hopefully, you know, not too long, but probably until like the new year. And then once they figure out who they are and how they play together, they'll be able to work some things out. But they're definitely going to be a, a growing process as they get into Big Ten season. And, and I'm actually kind of interested to see how that plays out because, you know, his team so far have been hotter in the hammers of hell through, you know, November, December. Yeah. And then they hit January, yeah, and and things go pear shaped for four or five weeks, right? And then they get it together late in the season. And, you know, maybe go on a little run. But, yeah, I'd be curious to see what this one's like because the, the past couple of years it's been the opposite. We start it's up and down, super man. hot, super hot yeah. in this time of year. So give me steady growth. <laughs> well, and that's going to be hard when you don't have a guy like, you know, you know Dwayne and, and CJ and all that. Yeah. They're on the roster. You've got to find some consistent scoring. And like I said, you cannot rely on EJ to give you 25 a night. Like that would be great, and I think he's capable of being a really, really great player. He's not going to get you that. Um, so you got to find scoring elsewhere. And other basketball-related news this week, Wednesday, was National Signing Day when the youngins signed their national letters of intent. First day of the early signing period uh, made five members of the 2022 recruiting class for the basketball Buckeyes have officially signed, sealed, delivered, as it were. And this is uh, Chris Holtman's most highly touted recruiting class to date. Yep. He brings in Bruce Thornton, Felix Ukapara, uh, Roddy Gale, Bryce Sensabaugh, and Bowen Hardman. Pretty good class. Four four-star top 75 rated prospects. Big class, too. I mean, that's one of those things. In basketball recruiting, you know, you're not looking at that big of a class to bring in. That'll be interesting to see how he kind of handles that, especially been a guy at Holtman who's been really relying on things like transfers, Yes, right? he's done to extremely well with the transfer That's portal. right. So I'm curious to see how he, he builds a roster after this year, especially. Yeah, and what's interesting is, so this is the number six class in the country, number one in the Big Ten. This is the third time he's had the best recruiting class in the Big Ten, 2017 and 2019, but the mm -hmm. first class 
of his that's placed higher than 14th in the national standing. So I like I like where we're trending there. Yeah. The other team that had an exceptional national signing day was the Ohio State wrestling team, which turned in the number one class not only in the country, but maybe in the history of wrestling. I, was, I literally was about to say, in the history of wrestling. Of yeah, all time. Uh, yeah, Tom Ryan and his staff swept the top three recruits on Flow Wrestling's big board. Number Doesn't one, happen a lot of number other two, sports. and number three. No, can you imagine that? Wouldn't that be hilarious if, like, you know, Ohio State just got the one, two, and three players in football or something like that? One, like, two, and three in basketball. Oh, my God, you know, people why, would lose their mind. Why not? Yeah, this was, I mean, this was pretty crazy. This does not happen in wrestling either. So uh, Ryan and his recruiting consigliere, Anthony Ralph, really did some great work. And they did it, you know, with a combination, seven total recruits, uh, four of them from the Buckeye State two from the state of Pennsylvania and one from Indiana. And really impressive class. So if you're following wrestling at all, uh, you can go to 11warriors.com and read about the class because it was literally a history maker, pretty exciting for the program there. My friend, I think uh, looking at the clock on the wall, the clock on the wall doesn't say 3 o'clock, but it's uh, about that time. Let's park this train back <laughs> in the station. I want to thank again Buffalo Wild Wings for the hospitality here at Easton and being the official sports bar of 11 Warriors. We continue our world tour. Where are we off to next, my friend? Next time, I think we're out in Reynoldsburg, I believe. Back in my old stomping grounds. Yeah, let's, let us let me make sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that the 11 Dubcast will be on the road um, towards uh, out, out, out east, I think. Yeah, Michigan State Week, we're going to be in Reynoldsburg, and Michigan Week, we will be in Dublin. So those are two stops left. You can find the full schedule at 11warriors.com. Just click on uh, the most recent dubcast, and we'll have the dates and locations there at the bottom of the show notes of this episode or any previous episodes here during our world tour. So look forward to seeing you then. Come out and join us. We, we tape at 7 o'clock uh, the evenings. We won't obviously do that during Michigan week because that'll be Thanksgiving. Yes, we'll do that Friday. We'll do that on Friday of Thanksgiving. So Friday of Thanksgiving, come by and join us. That will be at uh, the Dublin location the week of the Michigan State game, Thursday night, 7 o'clock in Reynoldsburg. So yep. we will see you there. Uh, and until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast.